I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's finally spring, and I'm saying goodbye snow, hello adventure. And during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event, you can get epic deals on your favorite Honda model. Ready to get rugged? Then take the off-road in an all-wheel drive Honda SUV, like the CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, or redesigned Ridgeline. Want to take a spring road trip? Then check out a fuel-efficient turbocharged Civic or Accord. Say goodbye to winter and hello to a new Honda. Don't miss huge savings during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event. Now at your local Honda dealer. Welcome to a special episode of The Hollywood Reporter's Behind the Screen. I'm Carolyn Jardina, and today's guest, who I'm very happy to introduce, is my colleague, Scott Feinberg. I'm sure you've all been following his excellent awards coverage all season. Scott is The Hollywood Reporter's longtime awards columnist and the host of THR's Awards Chatter podcast. Scott, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you for having me. It's great to talk to you, and great job with your podcast. So uh, as we know, the Oscar nominations are now out, and uh, this has been a year, it goes to goes without saying, this has been a year like no other. What are your overall <laughs> impressions following the announcements? Well, I think the first thing, and you can speak to this as well, is, you know, there's this assumption on the people, on the part of people in my life, at least, that this is, oh, it must be a slower season. The movie theaters have been closed, and, uh, you know, it's... Um, just, you know, not as many events and not having to travel to festivals. But I can tell you, I in my experience, because of because of the magic of Zoom and other stuff like it, I, I feel like everybody thinks they can schedule everything and there's an expectation that you are gonna be able to attend and cover everything. And so I actually have found it to be busier than your average season, but not complaining, happy to be employed and healthy and here and uh and so yeah, I think that was the that was the climate going into the nominations. Then the nominations came out, and I really feel like there's two ways of looking at it. On the one hand, if I'm ABC and the Academy, I'm probably a little nervous that the most nominated movie by far is a black and white period piece, uh, that you only have one movie from a traditional major studio that's nominated for Best Picture, and that the cumulative box office of all the Best Picture nominees, all eight, is only something like, $15 million. That's, that's disconcerting when, uh, you know, historically viewership has been tied to the, uh, popularity of the best picture nominees. On the other hand, you know, for that part of this, you could say they've never been, the movies have never been more accessible because they're all 
streaming or were streaming. Um, I think Judas is now Judas and the Black Messiah has now been pulled back off streaming so that it can be seen in theaters as those start to reopen. But so that's the that's the kind of uh, TV side of things in terms of the just the quality of the nominees though i think it's actually a very good year a lot of diversity a lot of spreading the wealth just between a lot of good movies and uh, i'm sure that's stuff that you're going to want to talk about so i won't preempt it okay well you know what i i want to start with a question about the uh about animated features to start with um to date only three animated movies have been nominated for best picture disney's 1991 classic beauty and the beast and more recently pixar's up and toy story 3. uh there had been some speculation at least among some members of the crafts community that there might have been a fourth this year um in, especially in this unusual year um with so much bl uh, blurring the lines between live action and animation um why when do you think we'll see more animation in the top category or why does it remain so rare? It's a great question. I think it probably the, the likelihood of when it will start happening um, or, you know, I basically think it could start happening as soon as next year. If there's a, a movie like a soul, for instance, this year, which is probably the one that you're referring to as, you know, it seemed like it was a plausible best picture nominee. The reason I say next year versus this year is that, you know, for whatever reason, as of this year, they're still having Best Picture nominees fluctuate anywhere between five and ten, depending on a whole mathematical formula that virtually nobody in the real world or even in the Academy <laughs> understands. Um, and I, it's to me, it's always been a little bizarre because for a group that doesn't want to be criticized for lacking diversity or you know that wants to give people more reasons to tune into the show based on having popular nominees. There's no downside to having a fixed 10, which is what they had in their early years. It's what they it's what they had for a few years after The Dark Knight was not included in the top five. And it's what we are going back to a fixed 10 next year. And so, you know, this year we ended up with eight Best Picture nominees. And if you're the people involved with Soul or News of the World or One Night in Miami or Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, you have to be saying, like, who does it benefit to have eight versus 10? It doesn't make a lot of sense. And so we could have had uh, an animated nominee this year, quite possibly if there had been 10. And uh, I think the odds will definitely increase going forward. Okay. Well, uh, let, let's talk about the animated feature race. Uh, no real surprises. Uh, the nominees are Onward, Over the Moon, Shaun the Sheep movie, Farmageddon, Soul, and Wolf Walkers. What are, I, I know these are the same ones that you projected. Uh, what are your thoughts on this category this year? It's interesting because you have, first of all, let's note two from Pixar with uh, Onward and Soul. Onward and you have Soul. two, yeah, two from Netflix as well, Over the Moon and Shaun the Sheep movie, Farmageddon. And then you have Apple TV with a first ever nomination in this category with Wolfwalkers. And um, so just the fact that it's a relatively limited pool of distributors is is kind of interesting. Um, obviously, we talk about every year the fact that Pixar, now particularly as part of the Disney family, has a large built-in block of voters who just, by doing so well each year, then get nominated, get invited to uh, join the organization, and it kind of be sometimes becomes a self-perpetuating thing. Uh, and so I would think that they are at an advantage. Plus, Soul is an excellent movie that's been well-received and all of that. Um, so, yeah, I think Soul's the one to beat. I believe you agree with that. But um, it's, uh, it's a 
pretty solid year. I mean, these are none of these are are uh, out of the blue choices. They're all movies that have been accessible to the public and that people uh, sort of enjoy. And and that's not to knock the. We've had a bunch of years um, where you'll have a G Kids movie that most people in America haven't caught up with yet or something. And those are often great, but just leave a lot of voters kind of catching up and sometimes they don't catch up before they vote. This year, I think if you have, particularly if you have a uh, young person in the family, these are all movies that were already on your radar. Right. And um, and then just to go over all of them, I mean, yes, Soul is certainly the presumed front runner, um, but um, but I, I think these are all movies that you know were well received. Uh, you know, Wolf Walkers for uh, director Tom Moore, he's three for three. His previous two movies in his in his trilogy, uh, Secret Ke- Secret of Kells and Song of the Sea, were both nominated. Uh, the Shaun the Sheep, you know, Ardman's track record is very strong. Uh, mm. Onward, obviously, is Pixar and uh, Netflix. Netflix, uh, this is their, you know, second year having an original animated movie that they made. And uh, again, they're nominated. Yeah, it's a, it's a big kind of inroads in a short amount of time for, for them. And I think that, you know, original animation and family programming is generally very important to them. So this is a, uh, something they're very happy about. And I think that, you know, we shouldn't overlook the uh, amazingness of what Pete Doctor has achieved here as now the most nominated person in the history of this category. The category has not been around forever or else Walt Disney would have that honor, but it's, uh, he is sort of our modern, maybe closest thing. One, certainly one of them. Uh, and so it's a big thing for him to be here. I think as a four time now nominee along with Dana Murray. And, uh, I guess one thing that is interesting caught my eye is that, um, the Golden Globes, as you and I were covering, declared that co-director Kemp Powers was a nominee and therefore a winner at the Golden Globes, but the Oscars uh, apparently did not recognize him as a nominee, and so he'll have to settle for being a nominee for just adapted screenplay for One Night in Miami. One Night in Miami. And uh, and then just to go over Pete's uh, record, as you said, this is his fourth nomination in the category, which is a record. And if you add his nominations for screenplay and animated short, this is actually his ninth Oscar nomination. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, uh, really, I guess with Lasseter now out of the game, he's the elder statesman in a way of animation, isn't he? He's certainly one of them. Although if we're talking yeah. about elder statesmen, we should also mention that Over the Moon is directed by uh, Glenn Keane, who uh, is yes. a Disney legend who uh, is, you know, credited for characters such as the Beast in 1991's Beauty and the Beast and uh, has a, a pretty astonishing record. <laughs> totally. And it's nice to see Glenn Keane back there. For a long time, we would talk about Glenn Keane as one of the great people in animation who had never been nominated. Then he got nominated with the late, great Kobe Bryant for Dear Basketball, the animated short three years ago. They won. And uh, it's just sad, obviously, that uh, Kobe doesn't get another shot at, at, at uh, you know, showing what he can do again. But it's great that Glenn Keane is back so soon. Right. Well, it's, it's, it's an interesting category. Um, let's move to cinematography. Um, one thing we know for certain with this category is um, we're going to have a first-time winner this year. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, f- uh, four of the five are first-time 
Oscar nominees, uh, Sean Bobbitt for Judas and the Black Messiah, Eric Messersmith for Mank, uh, Darius Wolski for News of the World, and Joshua James Richards for Nomadland. And then um, our fifth nominee is Faden Papa Michael for Trial of the Chicago 7, and that's his second nomination. Yeah, it's a uh, really um, kind of interesting group of movies that are each, in, to my eye, very different from each other in their styles and um, and their cinematographer styles. I mean, you've got everything from the black and white kind of grainy look that they've used with uh, Mank to Nomadland is uh, a more, I guess, like muted color, but with an amazing tracking shot that, you know, people like me who aren't real students of cinematography like like you and probably a lot of your listeners i mean it's that's the kind of thing that really impresses us just to see that you know where francis mcdormand's walking through the camps is just sort of very artfully done um but you know i don't think of a particular shot or style with judas or uh news of the world or trial but i know that those movies certainly have their fans so i think it's a tough category to call one thing we probably should point out on the uh, on the black and white front is, um, you know, just for some history, uh, the cinematography Oscar was first handed out in 1928. And then in 1939, it became two separate categories, one for color and one for black and white. And then it was merged into a single cam category, excuse me, in 1968. Uh, since then, only two black and white movies have won this category. Um, Schindler's List in 1994 and Roma in 2009. Um, with Mank, uh, we could see a third this year. Yeah, and it's it's strange to me, sort of, but I guess not when you really break it down that that there haven't been more beautifully done black and white winners with the Academy, whereas I think they tend to be recognized with things like um, the ASC, the, the Guild, and then also the uh, Camera Image, I think. And they, they tend, cinematographers seem to really love black and white. And I think maybe the problem is that when it's been used in movies that then go to the Oscars, those movies are not always more widely appealing. And we know that the winners are chosen by the full Academy where of which cinematographers are probably like three to 5%. I haven't checked the latest numbers, but so you basically have 95% of people whose expertise is not in cinematography overruling the people who say, you know, something like the artist or the white ribbon or, um, you know, others Cold like that. Cold War are, was another recent one yeah, in the AAC. Yeah, that was, and yeah, one Camry Maj, right? And then didn't win at the Oscars. And I, I just think part of that is that it's a limited audience for a, uh, non-English language movie and when you then go to the full academy to pick that that award but I mean Mank clearly does not is not going to suffer from that problem because it's the most nominated movie of the year again so I think that there's a there's a real shot there although uh, and I'd like to check the numbers on this myself I think it is quite often a coattail category and and the likeliest best picture winner clearly at this point is Nomadland so uh, it would seem like you know, fans of that movie could just go down the line. And this would certainly be one of the categories that if you love Nomadland, you probably love the way it was shot. 
Okay. Well, let's move on to film editing. Uh, the nominees are The Father, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of Chicago 7. And um, we should talk about uh, Chloe Zhao's nomination for Nomadland. Uh, editing is one of her four nominations, including directing, writing, and best picture. Uh, and uh, the last time we saw uh the winner of the film editing category go to the person who directed the movie is um, Gravity when uh, Alfonso mm. Cuaron shared that award with Mark Sanger. Um, what are your thoughts on Chloe in this category? I think it's a, a real shot. I think that we also have to keep a close eye on Sound of Metal, which sort of reminds me of Whiplash, which did well uh, about, I don't know, six, seven years ago. And, um, just the sort of, now that one was truly about just showy. not, I'm not, not only about, but it was, there was some showy cutting there with the drum playing and the intensity of that one. This one obviously tonally is a different movie, um, but also about a, a drummer, heavy metal drummer, who's on the one hand, uh, it's kind of goes between his his life as a guy living in the fast lane and then a guy who's who's losing his hearing as a result I think that one has a, a very real shot as well I um you know I think a sleeper could be the father because what we're looking at there it's you know so much of that movie is about deliberately disorienting the viewer I think but in a way that ultimately kind of still makes you know comes to make sense and I think that um that that should not be discounted either. I'd, I'd be harder pressed to see Promising Young Woman or Trial of Chicago 7 winning, but maybe you disagree. I don't know. Uh, well, one thing we know for certain, like cinematography, we're going to have a first-time winner in this category. Um, yeah. Like cinematography for the five or first-time nominees. Um, the veteran in this category is actually Alan Baumgarten, who edited Trial of Chicago 7. Um, he was previously nominated for American Hustle. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's very competently done. And they obviously, uh, I think, um, have to, in, in that one, I would imagine one of the challenges was just juggling so many different storylines, which, uh, you know, partly give credit to the script, but partly that's certainly the, the editor. And I mean, I guess if that movie ends up picking up late momentum, it could carry over there, but it just feels like, um, Right now, the coattail vote and uh, would would be Nomadland, and then I would think that if they get adventurous, it would probably be Sound of Metal. Interesting. Okay. Well, um, we're going to move to makeup and hairstyling, um, and this was very notable this year um, because Ma Rainey's nomination gave made Mia Neal and uh, Jamika Wilson uh, the first Black Oscar nominees in the makeup and hairstyling category. Yeah, it's kind of. Uh, crazy that that hadn't happened before and it's great um and to be honest they're probably the favorites to win because that movie is so much about the transformation particularly of viola davis's character i mean i talked to a guy who knows viola davis who visited that set to to conduct some interviews and walked right by viola davis didn't even realize it was her and so um that does feel like the kind of you know single character just total transformation that they that the academy has rewarded in recent years with whether it's uh darkest hour or I believe the iron lady and um so i think that they're likeliest i mean i i don't know that there's a huge percentage of the academy that's even seen 
Emma or Pinocchio. I know there is a large percentage of the Academy that does not like Hillbilly Elegy, which is going to hurt them, even if the makeup and hairstyling work is is worthy. And then you've got Mank, which I think, you know, it's tough because Gary Oldman's literally made the point of saying in every interview that David Fincher told him, you know, you're going to be basically naked in this part or in the sense that no hair, no makeup, you know, this is going to be you. And so I don't think that necessarily, that talking point doesn't necessarily help their makeup and hairstyling nominees. Well, I, I, I would say in this category, uh, and I agree with you, Ma Rainey's does uh, feel like the presumed front runner right now. But I think with that and editing and a lot of the others, there's still a long way to go and a lot can happen right. in the next month and a half. True. Uh, music category. Um, what's notable here is that Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross have two nominations for uh, Mank and for Soul, uh, Soul, which they share with John Batiste. Uh, the other nominees are To Five Bloods, Minari, and News of the World. Um, what's your overall impression of this group? I mean, so far, Reznor and Ross have been recognized for two these two films that basically everywhere, Critics' Choice, Golden Globes. And in each case, I think it's been breaking towards soul. So I have to assume that that is the case, uh, the most likely scenario here as well. Although, um, and, you know, animated movie scores have been recognized, uh, you, you certainly know. And um, I think that, you know, it would be certainly nice to see Terrence Blanchard or James Newton Howard finally recognized uh in this category but and and emil masseri for minari that's a that's a you know lovely kind of understated thing but i think it's it's between the resner ross scores and i would guess it breaks for soul um let's move on to production design really varied group between uh period and uh then, you know, something like Tenant. Uh, but we have The Father, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, News of the World, Tenant. And I think most of these you had projected as well. Yeah. And I I have to say the feedback that I've gotten to these nominations in this category, it's been interesting. Like the one that people are kind of a little perplexed by is The Father because they're sort of saying like, what did you, you know, you made a nice living room. Um, and that's probably unfair to these guys. I'm sure there's a lot more to it, but it is the least showy of these i would think the tenet is the most it's a, just a huge scale movie that um obviously was not overall immensely popular with the academy based on the fact that it's not nominated in too many major categories um but i think that this is somewhere where it could uh do well as i believe other nolan films have done in the past um make is very innovative in its own way. And I think these are, you know, veteran production designer, Donald Graham Bird and, and set director, Jan Pascal. And I think that they should not be counted out. Um, and, and news of the world is impressive. They've created multiple towns in one, you know, that were meant to be parts of Texas and they did it in Santa Fe on a ranch. It's a great story, but again, if your movie itself is not particularly popular, it's hard to overcome that when you're now going to voting with the full Academy. So, um, my guess is that it's it's probably tenant. Well, let, let's move to a category that, without question, it had a lot of attention this season, even before uh, recent events, which was uh, sound. Um, so the Academy voted to combine the sound editing and sound mixing categories into a single category for best sound. This is something that had been 
we had been talking about for a number of years, really. Um, and uh, it's now one category. Uh, the nominees this year, Greyhound, Mank, News of the World, Soul, and Sound of Metal. Um, and just uh, looking at how, how this, um, how these worked out, um, both the motion picture sound editors and the Cinema Audio Society, which is the sound mixers, uh, all gave at least nom one nomination to each of these five movies, and the BAFTAs nominated four of five of them. So what is your impression of, um, of just really this new category? Well, I mean, if I were a person from the sound community, I, I would have certainly been not thrilled that you're going to lose one, one more shot at possibly getting an Oscar, but I do think that it is, it's kind of hard to, uh, justify having multiple for sound when you, you know, there was a time when they had black and white cinematography and color cinematography. There was a time when, you know, there were other categories that have since been consolidated. So I think it's probably overall the fairest way to go and also helps the, with a telecast that's increasingly challenging to draw viewers to. So from that point of view, uh, I would say overall, it's a positive thing that they've consolidated. I think that in terms of the, the winner, um, you know, again, considering that the vast majority of people who vote in this category are not specialists in sound, when you have a nominee that has the word sound in its title, that probably uh, <laughs> is going to give it an advantage. So Sound of Metal, that's that's a good move on your part if you were playing for that Oscar. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, Soul also, um, I think that, you know, it's, it's uh, impressive work and with people who are part of that who, um, you know, Ren Kleist, these are, again, names that we've seen in this category in years past. And, um, and let's give uh, Ren a shout out for a double nomination, too, because he's nominated for both Mank and Soul. Exactly. And, and I would say that if Sound of Metal doesn't win, it would be one of the Ren Kleist options, <laughs> probably. Uh, I don't really think Greyhound or News of the World are are huge threats to win here, but uh, we'll see. Well, let's talk about visual effects. Um, this is the first time in more than a decade that we don't have a best picture contender in the category and or a Marvel movie <laughs> in the race. That's really interesting, yeah. Uh, in, instead, we have uh, Love and Monsters, The Midnight Sky, Mulan, The One and Only Ivan, and Tenant. Um, what is your impression of this category this year? Well, I can tell you right off the bat that I cannot imagine a scenario and I may, maybe I'll have to eat my words on April 26th, but I cannot imagine a scenario in which Love and Monsters, uh, Mulan, or the one and only Ivan even have a prayer of winning just because the vast, vast majority of the Academy has not seen these movies and will not see these movies. These are not in any way kind of across the board contenders or movies that appeal primarily to Academy demographic voters. I know we all have this hope that there is, they take this as seriously as, you know, the biggest Oscar geeks among us, but the reality is many of them are busy in their careers and, or just not interested in watching movies that they see as targeted at kids as uh, some of these they might regard. And so, um, you know, again, you, you vote for, you can only really vote, from a pool of what you've seen, which to me leaves this between the Midnight Sky and Tenet. And if there's one thing that Tenet's known for and and applauded for 
uh, I do think it's visual effects. And so um, I wouldn't totally count out Midnight Sky, which does some pretty innovative things with like floating blood in particular, as you know, and just different different stuff there. But that's A, not a movie that was especially well-received uh, and B, you know, it's stuff we've sort of seen before with, with, and maybe I would say better probably with gravity or some of these other space set kinds of movies. And so, uh, I think this is another spot for Tenet to pick up a win. Well, I, I agree with you that Tenet and the Midnight Sky, uh, certainly appear to be the two front runners and they're very different movies. Uh, Tenet, uh, you know, Christopher Nolan likes to do as much in camera, you know, with practical effects as possible. And in this case, they even, um, uh, towed a plane into a set <laughs> in one sequence. Wow. Um, wow. And then, uh, and Midnight Sky, uh, we saw some new virtual production uh, techniques used. We saw face replacement. Uh, and, uh, you know, and some of those yes. space set scenes were, you know, completely CG. So I think, uh, you know, we saw a variety of techniques in there. Um, but, uh, but across this category, it will be, it will be interesting to, uh, to watch. <laughs> Yeah, and I just want to, I believe with the face replacement situation on Midnight Sky, that was because uh, Felicity was pregnant, right, Felicity Jones, and so they had to kind of cover that to a degree. And so, yeah, I mean, between that and the floating blood droplets and stuff, I mean, they have some good talking points, and they also have Netflix behind them, and I, and Netflix is looking to run up its count of wins as much as possible, and they have resources and a lot of people working to do that. So, I mean, I would not... Rule out Midnight Sky here, but um, my gut is tenant. Okay. Well, we'll see, we'll see what happens in the coming weeks. So um, as we look back on the nominations, let me ask you one other question, Scott. Um, is there a particular film or films uh, that you would like to have seen get more attention than they did this season? Sure. I mean, there's always a bunch. I, I for instance, particularly love documentaries, and I thought – the truffle hunters, the diff, the dissident, um, you know, I could go on with many others. I thought there were some were great documentaries. Yeah. It's just a shame that they, they can only have five. Maybe that's a category that ought to be 10 when you look at just how many good documentaries are being made now. But, um, that was one area. I, I also, you know, I think apparently more than most people liked Malcolm and Marie and, um, you know, I'm just, I think there's some indie movies that, that even in a year without many studio movies still got lost this year. I mean, The Assistant is a really, maybe maybe more powerful to those of us who work in this industry and recognize some particularly uncomfortable things there. But that was uh, a very well acted by Julia Garner uh, movie that's sort of a, basically about Harvey Weinstein's reign of terror. Um, and... Uh, yeah, there's there's plenty I would have liked to have seen more. I feel bad for um, Delroy Lindo from The Five Bloods, who was great and just boxed out of a tough category. I feel sorry for Sophia Loren. Not that you know she'll she'll be fine. She has an Oscar already. But I thought you know at her age to be, I think 86 to be doing great work in the life ahead. Would have liked to have seen her get in there for another nomination. Um, and uh, you know the list. The list goes on. It's hard, I'm sure, for somebody like Jodie Foster, who won a Golden Globe, to not even be nominated for an Oscar for the same performance. But again, that's uh, it's not a first-time thing that that's ever happened. So, 
just happy that we got a bunch of them in there that I do really love, like Nomadland, uh, which was not really a question, but, um, you know, plenty of good stuff to celebrate. I'll, I'll add one more to the list is I would personally like to have seen Welcome to Chechnya get a little more attention than it yeah. did. Um, I thought that um, its use of digital face replacement to tell the story without, you know, blurring the face, which is what we typically see in a documentary, uh, was incredibly involving and really a fascinating approach to nonfiction filmmaking. And I totally. suspect we're going to see a lot more of that uh, going forward yeah, in and documentary I, work. I think it was very well done, a little bit, uh, and by the way, not something that was done just for the sake of showing that they could do something. This was, for people who don't know, done to protect the identities of people whose lives would have been at risk if they had had their real faces uh, shown. But you don't want to necessarily kind of put them behind a silhouette like we've seen on, you know, uh, some of these crime shows on TV, you know, Unsolved Mysteries or something. Uh, and so it was an innovative thing. I think I'm a, I'm a little worried that maybe the VFX branch when they were winnowing down their field to these nominees ultimately felt that it was either, you know, sort of a, in a sense, a gimmick that they don't want to necessarily encourage over, over more extensive VFX work or that, you know, they know perhaps that in broader society, the idea of, of um, this kind of technology is actually very disconcerting because, you know, you can make it appear that anyone is saying or doing anything. And that is something that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. But uh, for the purposes of this documentary, you're absolutely right. It was great and would have been nice to see it there, uh, recognized in that category or in the documentary feature category. Right. So yesterday you also did some reporting about the uh, what the Oscar ceremony is going to look like this year. Yeah, I still think it's all subject to change like everything these days because, uh, you know, we'll see if there's a, another surge or anything with the pandemic. We'll see um, just a lot of things. But right now, the plan of the Academy is to do part of the ceremony at the Dolby Theater like usual, but part of it at Union Station downtown, which uh, is a new idea. And, you know, the, they used to do the Oscars actually downtown, um, in the early days. And so there was a famous incident with Claudette Colbert, basically, uh, thinking she had no chance of winning for it happened one night in 1935 at that ceremony and headed to union station, I believe to catch a train. And they literally held the train and pulled her off to come get the Oscar at the Biltmore. I think it was, and then put her, they put her back on the train. So, you know, it's not the first time union stations factored into it. We're not totally clear how union station actually will factor into it this year, because I believe that, uh, you know, they wanted to basically have an option to make this as socially distanced as they feel they need to be on the date of the Oscars. But I'm guessing that that may be more for the um, kind of big set piece type stuff, like a performance of the original song contenders or something like that. Um, but there will be nobody in the audience at either location who is not a nominee, a presenter, or a guest of a nominee. And so I don't know who these people would be performing in front of at Union Station, aside from, you know, either cut out people, which has literally been used at like the Super Bowl, or uh, I just don't know. But uh, it's going to be it's going to be unlike anything we've ever seen before. And 
it uh, it can't be worse than some of the other award shows that have preceded it, which really were disasters. So, um, you know, leave it to Steven Soderbergh, among others, who's one of this year's producers of the show to get creative. All right. Well, the, the Oscars are on April 25th, and I'm sure we'll learn a lot more about the show in the next coming weeks. And uh, and certainly there's a lot more to talk about, and I'm sure a lot will change in the, uh, the individual races during that time. But it was great to get your views at this stage. Uh, Scott, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me and uh, talk to you before it's all over. <laughs> okay. Stay safe. It's finally spring, and I'm saying goodbye snow, hello adventure. And during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event, you can get epic deals on your favorite Honda model. Ready to get rugged? Then take the off-road in an all-wheel drive Honda SUV, like the CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, or redesigned Ridgeline. Want to take a spring road trip? Then check out a fuel-efficient turbocharged Civic or Accord. Say goodbye to winter and hello to a new Honda. Don't miss huge savings during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event. Now at your local Honda dealer. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.